Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm excited because today we have Bryce Bradley. He is the CEO, co-founder, and president at Rosegate Mortgage, located out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, man. I'll let you kind of do your introduction, but welcome, man. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I know this has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to get into it today and help any way I can. Awesome, man. Well, before we kind of get into you know, the whole interview and all that fun stuff. Give us a little background as to what got you into the industry. You know, what's that sort of looked like over the last, whatever, 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah, doing this. yeah. Been in it, gosh, like over six years now. So I think similar to you, started on kind of the operations side, started at a wholesaler as an account executive and learned how uh, loans got in underwriting and closed out. So my clients were mortgage brokers. And when COVID hit, you know, everything kind of paused and shut down, decided to go get licensed and learn how to originate because I thought, hey, I understand kind of the back end of things. I want to understand, you know, how to originate on the front end and think I'd be good at it and work directly with clients. And, you know, you probably run into this type thing before where you explain to somebody what you do and they say, oh, well, so you can help me with my mortgage, right? And I say, well, I can't, but I know some brokers or loan officers can and that was happening a lot. So I thought, you know what, let me just go get licensed and I can originate these loans myself with people that I know. So it kind of started there. And now, yeah, Rosegate, we're three and a half years old, 25 loan officers and do a lot of uh, good business here in the Southeast of the uh, United States. Awesome, man. Well, what keeps you going, man? I mean, obviously, you know, you started probably at a pretty opportune time in 2020 in terms of, you know, starting the brokers and stuff like that. But then, you know, the last 18 months or so, maybe a little bit longer has been pretty rough, right? For most people. How have you navigated that? And also like, what keeps you going in this space? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I mean, we started in the summer of 2020. So refis were hot. Fortunately, when we began, we've only really put our focus into relationships and helping folks buy homes. So we do refinances, we do them as well as anybody, in my opinion, very biased. But having said that, refinances help kind of fund our growth, but our focus has always been purchase money business, helping families buy homes, partnering with real estate agents and you know, all referral based, you know, doing a bang up job, turning one deal into four future deals just by building relationships with the agents, closing attorneys, the whole family and the new neighbor needs to know who did their loan type thing. So, right. yeah, we're a family owned business and really keeps me going is I say my job is twofold. It's I want to make sure that Rosegate is always the best place for somebody to get a mortgage for a client to get a mortgage with us client for life get them comfortable and excited that the financing lines up to help them get that house or save money through a refinance. And then number two, make sure that Rosegate's the best place to work. So if we're hiring the right people and we're the best place to get a mortgage and the best place to work, I think everything else will kind of fall into place. So all I'm focused on is trying to keep Rosegate the best place to get a mortgage and make it the best place to work, whether you're a loan officer or a processor. I'm personally curious as someone who runs a business, Yeah, you know, scaling to having 25 employees, What does that look like in terms of your leadership abilities, right? I mean, that's a different animal having to deal with 25 people versus, you know, self-producing, right? Yeah, most definitely. I say to this day, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in this business was 
pull out of my own personal production. So I know that's a hot topic. We could have a conversation about yeah. that in of itself, but is the right thing to stay in it and continue to produce and help fund the growth of the company through my production, or is it to focus on growing the company and help grow other people to be successful? So originating, you know, it was natural for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Got a lot out of it. And my partners challenged me after about a year and a half or really kind of two years that, hey, you know, if we're really going to scale this thing and help make sure that Rosegate is the best place to work and grow, you know, we need to get you out of production. So that's been great because, you know, my job's to be available to our people to help close deals, whether it's a corporate partnership or real estate brokerage partnership. You know, I like to go attend closings when I can and just support our loan officers to help them be successful. So yeah, I mean, taking it up to 25 people, I always like to use the analogy. It's like, you know, I was kind of a player and now I'm a coach. I had to go through it as a player coach. So, but when you're the head coach, think of a football team, right? When you're like a player or coordinator, you know, you're really focusing on the X's and O's, but the head coach is really, you're in the people business at that point, right? right? right. Dealing with emotions, you're dealing with people, you know, you want to make sure they're taken care of, they can provide for their families. So, you know, we do mortgages, absolutely. But really, when you, you know, grow a company and kind of get out of production, and you're in the people business more so even in the mortgage business at that point. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I was just talking to yeah. my buddy who's grown a pretty big team, but you know, he wants to get out of production because he just is passionate about growing and scaling and all that kind of stuff. And you know, there's been a lot of pushback about that happening, right? It just seems like in this industry, for whatever reason, People always think that the team leader or, you know, the owner or things like that needs to produce. In my opinion, I wouldn't want to work for someone who is producing because I'm like, why would I work under someone who's probably taking the better leads? You know, it's like, why wouldn't they self-serve themselves? Right. Yeah. So to me, it's like, I would rather them not be producing and support me because I just feel like, you know, again, but for whatever reason in this industry, people like want them to also be producing. I'm like, well, how can you effectively lead a team if you're producing? I mean, producing is full-time job. Yeah. How can you be producing and also be at a high level leading people. Yeah, it is a full-time job. We like to say it's nights, weekends. So I thought early on, like I said, about a year and a half, two years ago, it's, that's going to be a tough transition to make. But, you know, we have a long-term focus here. We're building out, you know, I like to say we're still in the bottom of the first inning. We're building out a national company. You know, we've expanded down to Florida and, you know, all the way out to the Mississippi River. Nice. Up into Kentucky as of yesterday, actually. So, yeah, it's one that I think there's always going to be a bit of a conflict of interest if the owner and kind of, you know, president is also competing with you. Not to say it's bad. It's just they're not going to be as available to help right. you grow. Now, be able to sit in and benefit from their alignment calls with clients or piggyback right. or right. Them, which I still do some of that. But when a deal comes in, I distribute it within the team. Versus just running it under my name and pocketing that money. I mean, I just say as hard as it is, I want to help tee these guys up with opportunities and help them be successful. So I think you can do it, but you're going to have trouble scaling until in turn, you're willing to kind of step back and work on the business versus spending, you know, nights, weekends in the business because you need to right. be available to your team. Right. to help them grow, right? And you need to feed them with good opportunities. So that's the decision we made. We haven't looked back. Nice, man. Well, and then obviously, as you said, it was probably scary at first to transition because, you know, you're giving up a pretty significant yeah. amount of income, you know, obviously with the intention of replacing that with volume at that point, because you're going to have to make up a bunch more volume to probably get paid the same amount as you would for a couple loans. But that being said, 
that allows you to grow to the scale that you want to. And again, I mean, I think it depends on where you're looking to take it. Cause I do think some people like they keep producing because their goal is to make, you know, 30, hundred million. Right. Yeah. But like how much further beyond a hundred million can you take it? If you're still trying to do everything and you're still trying to produce, it's kind of like a cap of growth potential versus, you know, kind of your model is like, you're looking to grow. I don't want to call it a real business because I do feel like other people have real businesses too, but yeah. real business, right? Like a it's company like this- more so than a branch or a platform we're building. Right. You know, we have a company here, and so I'm focused on growing the company. And again, all the company is, who is the company? Well, our people are the company. Right. The company is nothing more than the people here. So I believe we've got, you know, incredible people. And I want to, you know, I owe it to our people to help support them as much as I can. And I can't do that if I have a conflict of interest or if I'm spending a lot of time with my own personal production, if that makes sense. Because, you know, if I can help 25 people do it well, that's much more effective than me doing it well. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the concept of the smaller piece of a bigger pie, right? So many people yeah. are like, well, you know, I'll get 100%. It's like, well, 100% of one or 10% of 200, like whatever. I mean, I don't know, I'm throwing random numbers out there, sure. but like the truth is a certain scale, it makes sense to have a smaller piece of bigger pie. You're going to be able to scale it. And then also, you know, you talked about having a couple kids and things like that, right? Like you got to have time to spend time with your family and kids as well. So that's awesome. In regards to sort of like, yeah, you want to become the best platform for both consumers and for loan officers. One step back, familiar with Mr. Beast? Mr. Beast is the biggest YouTuber, right? I remember watching one of his videos and the guy was like, well, what's your goal? He's like, my goal is to make the best damn videos ever. Oh yeah, but like, where do you want to take it? I don't have that goal. I just want to make the best videos. So I felt like that was kind of a similar situation that you talked about, which is like, it's less about like, Hey, we want to hit, you know, a hundred loan officers or 200 loan officers or a thousand loan officers, or, you know, hit a hundred million in product, whatever. Like it's no, it's, I just want to be the best platform for consumers and the best platform for loan officers. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question, man. That's a tough one to pin down. But no, so I mean, in this day and age, I'll kind of start here is we started as a mortgage broker and not to get too technical. Being a broker has its advantages. It's tremendous. You have access to all kinds of different wholesalers, different programs, products. You can have full coverage. It's great. It's great. Now, folks that have never worked at a broker and have worked for big retail lenders or banks, they'll tell you, well, why would you want to work for a broker? Because the banks, you know, you'd rather work for a bank because it's more streamlined, it's more secure, whatever it might be. The servicing, right, we retain, whatever it might be. So, you know, I think most originators start as brokers, and we have as well. We've grown into a correspondent lender. So I like to say we're a hybrid. So we actually lend our own money and sell to investors, Similar to how a broker would, but it gives us a little bit more control and flexibility and, you know, Rosegate on the statements and everything. And so sure. there are certain advantages to being a lender, but we have all the flexibility that you would need as a broker and we can still broker loans if we choose to. So the platform being sound is good. The tech being sound is critical. You know, having a great point of sale system, LOS, CRM, having a great marketing team that's here to help support you, having full-time loan support, people that help you review how you calculate your income up front, kind of pre-underwriting in-house. So ultimately, you know that you're going to close on time and you can say with conviction, hey, you know, this is your rate. We can lock in today. And yes, we can close, you know, two weeks from next Tuesday. Not a problem, right? Money will be there. So ultimately, as long as everybody here has the ability, we talked about conviction earlier, has the ability to take in information, listen, customize the financing solution for the client, and then deliver, you'll get results. It's funny. Like nobody gets jacked up to talk about their mortgage and saying like a normal person, not somebody right. in our 
but not a loan officer. You have to have the call to get a mortgage, but you want to talk about the house, right? So it's like, you know, we train on heavily how to have a good alignment call with the client. So we ask about the house. We ask about the family. We ask about the neighborhood, right? We ask about the timing. We ask about the budget. And what you do is you funnel down into, okay, these are two or three really great options for you. Pick a lane. And it's their choice. So, you know, find buys rather than making sales. So as long as we have the tech and the people and the programs, the support, like everything to do that and competitive deals, I think that's how we can be sure that everybody is able to go out with conviction and build out a successful book of business. So talk about that real quick, the alignment call. I mean, I'm assuming that's like a discovery call. That's kind of your first interaction with the consumer. Question for you, does that happen before or after they take an application? Great question. Sometimes it's at the same time. So our goal is always to have the alignment call before they apply. Because when somebody applies, the worst thing to do is have to then go back and correct them. So we call the alignment call, it's almost like a doctor consultation. So you know, kind of a weird word picture, but I'll say it just because I think it hits home is you have to undress that client through questions because we see everything, right? Financially, you're going to see their bank, you know, how much money they have, or at least enough money to make the deal, you know, happen, you know, where they work, how long they work, you know, how much they get paid, you know, if they're paying their bills on time or not through a credit report, right? You know, if they're going through a separation or divorce, you've got to kind of get into the details there. And it can be very, very intimate and emotional. So yeah, it's one of those things. The alignment call is coming from a place of really wanting to understand and asking good questions to understand what they really care about. So we prefer to do that upfront and then we can guide them through how to apply. Like I like asking, what does your Zillow search look like? Most people have a Zillow or Redfin, Realtor.com on their phone. Like you're thinking you want a house. That's great. What part of town are you interested in? What's kind of the price range, beds, baths of homes that are catching your attention? That's fantastic. Where do you live now? And that way you can kind of push it together. And then we like to have this conversation, have our point of sale pulled up. And they don't even realize we're taking the application as we're speaking. They know we're a loan officer. Yeah, we can take the application as we're talking. And that way, maybe at the very end, conversation's about over. You go, hey, you know, tell you what, I have everything I need here. And it sounds like based off what I'm seeing, you should be pre-approved. But give me, you know, 30 minutes to go back and get with my underwriter here to make sure, you know, everything looks good before we send you the approval. And I'll send over a link. There's like six questions left. It's the Humda questions. It's just, you know the legal question. So it'll take 20 seconds because my job here is done. You don't have to go do it again. And do I have the go ahead to go ahead and, you know, pull your credit. You have a 45 day shopping period type thing and then issue that pre-approval and then send over a few options. If they were to go put an offer on a $800,000 house tomorrow, that's great. Who's your real estate agent, right? How long have you been working with them? Maybe they're the ones that referred you to me and then that's your connection point. So that's a long-winded answer, but I cannot emphasize enough, Luke, the alignment call, that's where you win deals. That's where you win trust. And that is where you establish yourself as an option or, hey, we're working together. Like they should leave that call comfortable and excited with the feeling of, wow, I'm good. I don't need to go through this again. My doctor was thorough. He understands me. He gets me. I'm excited about this could work. Turns out it's the same as my rent payment right now. Who knew? Like that's the feeling that you want to create through a good alignment call. 
And if you have good competitive pricing, right, and you're not just astronomical, but you're in the game and you know how to land the alignment call, you should not hardly ever get shopped. Like right. 10% of people will shop no matter what. It's just the way it is. But you really shouldn't be getting shopped on purchase money business consistently. If you are, it's because you've not done a good enough job of being thorough with your alignment call and getting them comfortable and excited to move forward with you. And you don't know how happy I am to hear this because this is literally <laughs> the conversation that I have with loan officers almost every single day because for anybody who's listening, this is the importance of a discovery or an alignment call as Price is calling it because when we talk about this all the time. I made a post probably, I don't know, six or 12 months ago that said something like, the online application is the worst thing that's happened to the industry, the mortgage industry. <laughs> and the reason I said that was not because I think the tech is a problem. It's because it's created bad habits. And loan officers think that if someone isn't willing to fill out an application before they talk to them, then they're tire kickers. In my opinion, I'm like, why would someone fill out a 30, 40, 50, 60 question questionnaire without even talking to you? That's crazy. That's crazy to expect anybody to ever do that. Secondly, what most loan officers are doing, they're order takers. All right, cool. You gave me your application. Here's a 30 year fix. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice, right? We just talked about the doctor analogy. You don't go to the doctor and say, Hey, here, have a Vicodin. Doctor, you didn't even <laughs> check me out. Like, like what? Like, that, that's so a red flag, right? But loan officers do this every single day. I would wager that 80% or more of loan officers are doing this every single day. They're not having a discovery conversation. They're not understanding their situation. They're not thinking about their future. All they're thinking about is, hey, this is a transaction that's in front of me. Let me get it. All right, cool. You won that transaction. The other thing that I'll say is I did an interview on this podcast with Monitor Base. One of the things they talked about was 19% retention. That's the average retention that a loan officer has is 19%. 81% of consumers are working with another loan officer on the next transaction. 81%. Goes to show you how little impact loan officers are having on their consumers. One in the transaction, but two in the follow-up. And so to me, like, I don't know, there's so many things that are so wrong with the mortgage industry that this piece right here, to me, it's the same thing I tell my sales team. The pitch is the least important part of the entire sales conversation. Because if you've done your discovery, which you call the alignment, if you've done your discovery properly, all you're doing is you're providing a solution to the problem that they've already told you about and told you that they need to help with. Instead of trying to pigeonhole them into a 30 year fix, when maybe they're thinking about selling in two years, maybe they're thinking about whatever, like you don't know their situation, you don't know what they wanna do, you don't know what their long-term goals are, you don't know what their short-term goals are. All you know is that they wanna buy a home. So how do you train on that, man? Like, that's one thing that we talk about all the time. We talk about second, third, fourth level questions yeah. because most people stay on the surface too. Like, hey, I want to buy a home in this area. All right, yeah. cool. What kind of homes are you looking at? What if instead of that question, it was, hey, sir, like what's so significant about you wanting to move into that area? How's you moving into that area? Well, like, why do you want to move there? Yes. Just ask that second question. All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I have a kid that has Down syndrome and I need better support at the school system. I have whatever. You actually understand their why. And that why is way more powerful than I'm just yeah. trying to move. Yeah, and understanding that why is what we call the hot button. Everybody has something that they care about the most. Mm. And it can be two or three things. There can be multiple hot buttons. It's typically three or less. But if you don't understand what they care about most, you've not done a good enough job asking the right questions. I mentioned something as clients don't remember who the loan officer was. It's fascinating. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's something along these lines. I was up United Wholesale, big partner of ours. A few weeks ago, owner of that company said, who's a titan in the business, and he knows his stuff cold. He said, 80 to 90% of folks who got a mortgage want to use the loan officer yep. that they used last time. But studies show only about 15% 
of clients remember who it was. That's crazy. So you nailed it when it comes to retention. You worked so hard to get that deal. Like, how could you not retain that client for life? How could you not get to know, yeah, you're talking to, you know, spouse A, but you never even asked about spouse B, right? Spouse A might be a hermit or, right. you know, their significant other, they might be head of the HOA and the most popular right. person in town. And you miss that opportunity to build a relationship with somebody that's going to refer you business for the next 10 years. So you have to be thorough. It's a family affair. Buying a home is emotional. That's why I love the purchase money business because it's easier to scale your business through purchase money than it is refinance. In my right. opinion, refi is great. You can plug in with financial advisors. It's fantastic. There are pros to that too. Let's stay here with purchase money and the alignment call. Common objection, Luke, that you'll get with salespeople is, well, when I send the link, it's quicker. Okay. Okay. Well, what about when they apply? The application looks terrible. You know that their debt to income ratio at that purchase price, putting only you know fifty thousand down, is eighty five percent. Now you have to pick up the phone and you have to undo thirty minutes worth of their work. Tell them why they're not qualified. Deliver bad news. Friction. Go through the whole thing again. They already don't like you, and you're trying to run uphill with the wind in your face now. Versus right. just they don't know what they're doing. They're not licensed. How could they? It's not a knock. Right? If you're not a licensed loan officer, how could you know exactly what you're qualified for? And so a really great loan officer creates that alignment or discovery, as you called it, up front, and you guide them. You funnel them down into their options. And even if they don't love it, right, they're not fighting you on it. Right. And it's okay. Well, you know, if you really want that house based upon our conversation, I know ideally you want to keep your current house and buy this other one first, but we're going to have to sell your current home to put enough money down to qualify for that beautiful $1.3 million house that you really want in that school district. And I'm here to help you accomplish that. So versus backtracking and then you're losing. That's friction. You want a frictionless experience. Mm -hmm. And it all starts with the alignment call. And you will convert at a much higher rate. And you will save yourself a lot of time and you will remain in the driver's seat and you'll be proactive versus reactive and being reactive, not a good place to be as a loan officer. Correct. But reactivity seems to be rewarded in the mortgage industry. People think they need to respond instantly, things like that. And I think that's just, again, expectations and all that. But let's kind of go back to this concept. I mean, like, you're right. I mean, I still love the way you said this. You have to address clients through questions. You know, again, I've heard the whole doctor analogy and things like that. But like, yeah, that's the truth. Like you have to understand because like what I like about that analogy that you said you have to address them is because that is what we have to do. We talked about this. Most salespeople, they stay surface level. In sales, we're ultimately playing a numbers game, right? So eventually, if you follow that process, someone's going to say yes, and they're going to work with you, right? But now if you're good, if you can improve it, like maybe now the numbers is like, instead of talking to one in 10, it's one in five, or maybe one in four, and then maybe one in three, like, because you've gotten better, one, uncovering their pain points, showing them the solution of the pain point and showing them why it should be you, they should be working with. And I tell this to one officer all the time, they're like, I'm an educator, I'm an advisor, I'm this and that and the other. I'm like, yes, you are, you're all those things, but you're a salesperson first, right? Because why else would you get paid like a salesperson if you're not a salesperson? The truth is, like you said already, we're loan officers. Loan officers have considerably more experience with mortgages than the consumer does. How many times does a consumer get a mortgage on a yearly basis? According to the stats, they're getting a new mortgage once every roughly 
three to four years. That's a two refinances yep. and a purchase within about 11 years, right? That's the math that Monitor Base talked about, right? They do two purchases within 11 years. And then in between that, they do two refis. So it's four transactions in 11 years. And that's all they've done. Now, as a loan officer, you're probably doing two, three, four, five, ten 10 transactions a month. You have so much more experience. You know what the market, you don't know what the market's going to do, but you have a better understanding of the market and what it's going to do. You have a better understanding of equity appreciation. You can say, hey, like 1991, there's been a viral little meme going around talking about the amount of growth since 1991. And like the bare minimum is a 300% growth since 1991. That's like mm -hmm. the low end. A lot of the states are like five, 600% growth, equity growth or appreciation or since 1991. Like that is the numbers we go off. If you're planning on buying and staying in the home for a long time, why? Why would you not convince someone to buy right now? In my opinion, if they're qualified from credit, if they're qualified in income, if they have whatever it is that, why would you not try to tell them they should buy right now? Unless you truly believe it's not a good time to buy, and then that's a problem. And you shouldn't be selling mortgage. Go do something else. Yeah. If you don't believe in the U.S. housing market, you need to get into a different industry. Like, don't be stupid. And I'm not saying push people into products they shouldn't be in. What I'm saying is, if these people say, hey, I want to wait, and you're like, okay, cool, you have the credit, you have the down payment, you have the income, why would you not buy it? Why are you going to wait six months? Because you know what's going to happen in six months? If rates do come down like you want them to, now all of a sudden, instead of having two people that you're competing with on every listing, now you're going to have 30 people on every listing that you're yeah. competing with. Now you're going to have to probably go 20, 30,000 over asking. Now yeah. you're probably going to have to waive your contingencies. But most people don't want to have those conversations because they're weak and they want to hide behind the fact that they're an educator and an advisor. In my opinion, that's BS. Yeah, but the, you can tell me what you think. Yeah, the right time to buy is when you're ready to buy. Right. When you find that house and you can afford it and go buy it. Because to your point, there's always a reason not to do something. It's always. so funny. We've seen like three different market cycles in the past five years. It's so crazy how fast it's moved. So sure. when interest rates were really low, people didn't want to overpay. And they didn't want to have to come out of pocket $50,000 for due diligence. More than that in California where I know right. Sight unseen, $50,000 due diligence, not going to get it back. I don't care if there's black mold, you know, crazy stuff, right? Right, right, crazy. But you got a 25 to 3% interest rate. Fantastic. And then when rates shot up to 6%, you go, oh, I'm not going to buy now. Rates are 6%. Like, yeah, the house is $25,000 less than it was then. And you can get a $20,000 seller credit. So it wipes out your closing costs. If and when rates do come down, we'll refinance you. So there's your rate protection plan right there. And then if they keep going up, then you bought at the low. If they right. go down, you can refinance. If they go up, keep it. You know, it's like there's always a reason not to do something. There's two sides of the coin, always, always. So it's crazy. We joke internally how many people make decisions based off of what, you know, a show like Good Morning America says. Like six months ago, bad time to buy a house. Now. Good time to buy a house. And people right. just, yeah. But the people that bought six months ago have built equity, depending on where you are. Oh, and by the way, you never see rent payments again. Rent's going up pretty much everywhere. It's a hundred percent interest. So, you know, I get it. Like there are costs to buying a home. And if your AC goes out, you've got to replace it with an HVAC system. That sucks. But at the end of the day, you sit and you pay rent. You're never going to see again. Oh, your payment's going to go up because it's not a fixed interest rate. And if you're in a 30-year fixed, great quote I heard. And this is from a real estate agent. Shout out the agent that told me this. But they said, good news, right? This is the highest your interest rate is ever going to be. It's a 30-year fixed. If rates go down, you can get it lower. But this is the worst. So if you're good with worst case scenario, 
you're going to love it when rates go down. So yeah, I like the house. I can afford it. Let me buy now. So that's good stuff, Luke. I mean, I couldn't agree more. What I like about it is that, you know, you're obviously, this is how you're training your team. So how do you train the team to have these conversations? Are you doing call reviews with them? Are you role-playing with them? Like, what's that sort of look like? Yeah, man. So a lot of us come in the office every day. You know, our support team is in office every day. Our loan officers come and go. You know, we have a weekly sales meeting Wednesday morning. So we come together Wednesday morning. The last few weeks, we've been doing objection overcoming balls. We toss the ball and you throw out hot topic objections that are coming and we get better together. People step up and take the ball and and the answer. That's really cool. And uh, we do alignment call training as well because alignment call is the most important thing that we do here. So it was really cool. One of my loan officers today had a real estate agent she's been working with, and she actually invited her agent to come and participate in our alignment call training. And so she got to catch a glimpse into how we have our alignment calls with clients. And she said, hey, you know, there are a lot of things that I learned from this that I'm going to take into my calls with clients. And something that I found to be really great, Lucas. If we can have an alignment call together with the real estate agent, that's fantastic because you're a co-pilot. We need them. As long as the client's comfortable with talking about finances with them and you ask for permission, like that creates that team and you're going to get that plane off the ground and you're going to land it successfully because it takes a strong agent. It takes a strong LO. We've got to be, you know, in lockstep with that client. So we train, we train and we get better together. I love it, man. And this is all referrals, right? And you're still doing this process. Like, I mean, we generate online leads and we're like constantly telling people like, you need to stay on the phone and you need to take the application on the phone. We talk about the conversational application like you talked about. What else is tying them to you beyond getting the credit? Like, hey, I might, can I pull your credit? Why else would they stay with you? Like, what's the commitment to them working with you? And yet you're doing this with referrals. One of my good buddies, Skylar, he was on this podcast as well. He talks about, they do the same thing with referrals. And they track their numbers and they said, on average, real estate agents convert one and I don't know the numbers. So don't quote me on this, but he says something like, hey, the average realtor is closing about one in 10. We close one in four or one in five. I don't, again, I don't know the exact numbers, but he knows their numbers. And so based off of that, by just referring us business, you're going to close, you know, an extra two deals for every referral you send or whatever, right? And the reason for that is like, we call seven times within four days and we take the application over the phone and we issue a pre-approval within X amount of time. They have all these guarantees that they give realtors as well. But a lot of it comes down to like, we're going to just do this on the phone because we're not going to miss out on all these. I just wonder, like, I wish there was a stat out there that showed like how many people applied or sent a link that then ended up going with someone else. I would love to know that stat because it's probably astronomical and loan officers would probably cry knowing how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars they've missed out on because they're too lazy to have a 30 to 45 minute conversation with someone and take the application over the phone. People do business with people, not companies. So my job is to support our people. And like you said earlier, like I wouldn't spend 30 minutes filling out an application if I've never talked to the loan officer. Never, never. Are you kidding me? That's perfect. I'm going to take that and you know tell our team in our company meeting on Monday because none of them would. No, no. You just send a link and you know, a real estate agent or past clients like, hey, you know, I have so-and-so. Like, great, have them fill this out. Are you kidding me? That's the average workflow. And most people will actually say, I'm not even going to get on a call with someone who doesn't do that. Then you're missing out on at least $100,000 in income. Yeah. At least, in my opinion. Yeah. Real quick, to sort of close things out here, we like to end with some sort of value. I know you got some yeah. value bombs. If there is one thing that you could do today or one thing that, you know, if you were to start over as a loan officer or you were going to tell someone on your team, what would you tell them to go out there and do today? Yeah, great question. So it's actually not the one that I was going to share because I think this one I thought about is better. We train on and we hire a lot of people that have no mortgage experience and help them build a book of business, right? 
for self-gen type model, purchase and refi. So I believe, and this is personal because this is what worked for me and it's working for a lot of our fantastic team members is the best place to start is through your sphere of influence. Okay. So people do business with people they know, like, and trust. People that know, like, and trust you and you know, like, and trust are going to want to help you get the word out if they truly like you. The best connection point is always a person. So it starts with getting the word out. I do home loans now, right? I'm a licensed professional. I do home loans. I can help you buy your next house or refinance when rates come down or you want to look to tap equity, whatever it might be, right? Call me, text me. I can help you with all your mortgage home loan needs. So where do you start? It's like, wow, Bryce, I only know three real estate agents and they're working with somebody they've worked with for five years. That's okay. They just need to know what you do. But we found that just asking for advice and connecting with your sphere, and it's not like we sell steak knives, right? Shout out to my cousin. God bless her. She's the best in the world at selling steak knives. She's paying her with your coffee. Yeah, with that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I bought from her. I needed some knives. So good for her. But I'm saying... I knew she was trying to sell me steak knives. Like, oh, all right. You know, we did yeah. it. Love her. She's great. I want to support her. But, you know, you run out of family members soon. <laughs> so the best thing about our business is we're filling a true need. Right. People need the money to buy a house unless you're, you know, buying with cash, which is rare. So more oftentimes than not, people need a mortgage. So they want to work with somebody they know, like, and trust. So what we like to do is start with your sphere of influence. I say, get the word out. Say yes to everything. You need to go meet with people that you respect, that you look up to, that have had success in whatever industry it is. Whatever it is, stack your calendar for your first few months. Say yes to everything. Send a life update. I do home loans now. I'm building my business. I just want to pick your brain and get some advice from you or if you were me, how you would go about doing it. And again, there's nothing I can even sell you. And then you go, their guards down because they know I don't need a mortgage, right? right so, right, right, right. And then you just ask them for help. You have to be able to humble yourself enough to ask for help, ask for advice, thank them, don't have an angle. They just need to know what you do. Use social media to make sure the word's getting out. Then you're meeting all these people. You're getting the word out. Add some value with your posts, all that. And then, yeah, you mix in agents. Yeah, you mix in advisors. But what you'll find is those connection points, your sphere, they will go out of your way. If you ask for help, they will go out of your way to introduce you to a real estate agent. That's their neighbor that they play poker with every other Sunday. And that's a very warm connection point. And if nothing else... You may get an opportunity to meet with that agent and you say, golly, but this agent has somebody that pays for their leads. I'm not going to get their business. Okay. You ask that agent who in your office is newer that you think has a lot of potential, somebody under your wing that you think I could grow together with. We could help each other grow. We could go door knocking together. Like you got to jump in the river and wade through it. It starts with saying yes, having interactions. Ninja Selling talks about 50 plus interactions per week. You say that's a lot. Yeah, but you can get 50 interactions in one networking event at a brewery in a day. So it's really not too far-fetched. Like you like to play golf, you like to ride bikes, you like to work out, great, right? Join a gym, join a bike riding thing, come up with a weekly golf game. They all need to know what you do and you need to meet people through those people. And if you just do that and then you nail the alignment calls like we're talking about, you got all the support you need and a great team, like you're gonna kill it. You're gonna kill it. and 
that's just the self-gen world. You can always go out there and buy some leads and get really good on the dialer and convert too. I love this business because there's not one right way or one wrong way, right, but right. the self-gen kind of way is how, you know, how I've done it and and how we train on. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, here's what I'll say as well as someone who runs a marketing agency that generates leads and helps people. I don't recommend new loan officers to buy leads, at least for the first year. I mean, I even had a buddy locally down here that like came to me and he's like, hey, well, should I buy leads? I'm like, nah, dude. Ended up like his first year did like 40 million. He can talk to anybody. I said, dude, just go talk to people. Like just go freaking talk to people. Like it's not that crazy of a business. Like just, if you can have conversations with people, it's not that hard. Now the structure and the loans can be hard, things like that. But I mean, if you're good with talking with people, just go talk to a bunch of people, like you said, and tell them. And yeah, maybe a year, two years in when you've gotten good at doing mortgages, when you know how to structure loans, when you know how to have that discovery call or the alignment call, when you know when you know how to do these things, then maybe you can think about it. But it's a whole new ballgame because ultimately you have to learn a whole new set of skills. It's a fundamentally different way to do business. Referrals come with trust. Online leads don't. So you have to build a whole lot more trust when it comes to online leads. And that's a whole nother skill set, right? So learning how to be a loan officer and also learning how to convert online leads, unless you've done it at a different sort of industry, is not a good idea, I don't think, in the first year or two. And so, yeah, man, I agree. Doing the things that you talked about, especially if you're just getting started, huge. Don't buy leads because you know what? It's going to take you three to six months to start to make money off of leads. And if you're not willing to put in three to six months of money before you start making money, then don't do it. It just doesn't make sense. If someone wants to learn more about Northgate, connect with you, What's the best way for them to find you online, yeah. social media? What's kind of the best place to find you? Yeah, yeah. So big on LinkedIn and that's about it. Okay. Just using for work because I'm not a huge social media guy. But I am on LinkedIn. I check it every day and, you know, post stuff. So yeah, LinkedIn, Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, Bradley, Rosegate Mortgage. And yeah, that's the best way. Just DM me directly. I'm available and I'm happy to hop on the line. So, you know, I want to pay it forward. Like, it's fine. I enjoy meeting people, helping people any way I can. So if you're a new loan officer, you know, looking for some encouragement, trying to build your business, if you're looking to maybe make a career change, people have reached out to me there in the past to want to learn more about the mortgage business, whatever it is, I'm happy to have a phone call. Cool, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Any last parting words? No, thank you, Luke. This has been tremendous. It's been great meeting you. I'm glad everything came together here. And I know we're all really excited for 2024, finally getting some tailwinds uh -huh. out of our control. So I guess parting words are for those of you who got into the business over the past couple of years, stick with it. This business yeah. changed very quickly. Markets shift very quickly and we're getting some tailwinds and a lot of momentum. So you've paid your dues over the past 18 months, like Luke was talking about earlier. And yeah, we're all starting to see the fruits of our labor. And so now is the worst time to get out of it. Right. Yeah, people grinding through it. Now's the best time to stay committed and stay in it. And if you're doing the right things and you've got a schedule, you're consistent, you will find a lot of success this year and hopefully for the next few years. Love know. it, man. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think we've hopefully seen the worst of it, but even so, like, I think we have gone through a pretty tough time. And if you're still here in the industry and you're still grinding away, you're right. I mean, you, you know, you have what it takes to stick it out. And I think you just need to, you know, double down and figure out what works. So I appreciate it. My big takeaway from today, which is something that I preach from the rooftops, but is that alignment call, that discovery call, the most important part of your sales conversation is that first interaction with the consumer. Because ultimately that's when you're determining what it is that they, exactly that they want. And as I sort of said earlier, like I tell my sales guys all the time, like the pitch is the least important part, right? What's most important is understanding one, do they have a pain point or a problem? If you're on the phone call with them, they have a pain point or a problem, right? You just got to get them to say it. And then if you're the person that's going to solve their problem, 
then you should convince them to work with you. Because guess what? If Rocket Mortgage, if they opt in and Rocket Mortgage gets that lead, you don't think they're going to take an application, make sure that they get their $500 deposit, all that kind of stuff? Like, you really think they're not going to do that? Of course they are. So you can call yourself an educator. You can call yourself an advisor. But are you doing what's best for the consumer? If you're not trying to convince them to move forward with you, if they qualify, again, this is not saying they don't qualify. This is not putting them into a bad product that they shouldn't be in. You know, it's not pushing them into things they shouldn't be in. But ethically, if they have what it takes to buy a home in this market, you should be getting them to do it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, they're going to go to Rocket, they're going to go to Veterans United or people like that that are going to charge them a considerable more amount than you would. And they're not going to care. So, yeah, man, that's a big thing for me. The discovery part is so important. So, thank you so much for your time today. And for everybody who is listening and is looking for help on flipping the status quo with real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans on Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. 